Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you are a guest, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open with me uh, to Jonah uh, chapter number four. And uh, we are going to conclude our sermon series through uh, this minor prophet, uh, the life of Jonah, uh, this morning. And the last time we were together, we were in chapter three. And uh, we do that intentionally. We do what we practice, what we call here expository preaching working our way through books of the Bible. And so we've been working for the last four weeks, taking some rather large uh, sections of Scripture, um, which is a little bit uh, uncommon. We normally have a little shorter passages, but we're going through Jonah relatively quickly. And last week we were in chapter 3. This week we're in chapter 4. Just by way of reminder, we saw a couple of things um, from our last week's sermon. Number one, doing life God's way is always best, and Jonah learned a few lessons, if you will. He learned some things that mattered to the Lord, and he learned not to live for himself, but to live rather for where Christ was calling him, where the Lord was calling him. And we said this just by way of application, that God using you powerfully doesn't always mean that God will necessarily use you publicly. And the the, the contrast is certainly true as well, that God using you publicly doesn't necessarily mean that he's using you powerfully. But we also said this, that Jonah learned that God works uh, beyond our own ability and that God is um, does his best work, not when we are necessarily strong, but really does his best work through even our weakness. And that pointed us to the gospel of Jesus Christ where God worked through uh, weakness in many ways and Christ putting on flesh and putting on humility and putting on a posture of serving others And we ultimately saw the grace of God and the heart of Christ uh, where sinners matter to God and the heart of God working through Christ and becoming weak and laying down his life for us. And this morning, we're going to work our way through a a rather large passage, the whole chapter four of the book of Jonah. And so I would invite you to stand as is our custom to stand out of the honor and reverence of the reading of God's word this morning, Jonah chapter four. And we will read this text and work our way through this sermon this morning. Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under a shade, sat under in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and it might come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of a plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, "'It is better for me to die than to live.'" And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, with which there are more 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe that, would you say amen this morning? You may be seated this morning. As we come to the end of the book of Jonah, we find that in the final chapter, some of our questions that we've been asking have been answered. And yet some of them still remain quite a mystery. We discover in this text the real reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. 
we discover also why God desired Jonah to go to Nineveh. Yet we're also perplexed. We're confused by this rhetorical ending and the question that this book ends on. It ends on a question, this rhetorical question. And some seem quite confused as to why the book ends in this way. But as you study the book of Jonah, many scholars believe, and I pointed this nearly every week, that the book was purposely written, and its ending specifically was purposely written to ask the rhetorical question to the reader. It's almost as if the book is turning outwardly to you to ask the self, ask yourself this question, will you too be like this rebellious prophet? In other words, how will you respond to the question that's asked at the end of this book? How will you respond to the gracious heart of God for all peoples? Or will you turn inward like Jonah? Will you live like him? Or will you live better than he lived? Will you live ultimately where this is pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ? I have a couple of points this morning that I want to point us towards. The first one is this. I want you to see Jonah and Israel, and I want you to see us. By us, I mean the church. And that may seem a little bit confusing, and I'll try to unpack that as we go along. But Verses 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 4, but it displeased him. It displeased Jonah. The, the literal rendering there is that it caused him great displeasure. It displeased him exceedingly. And he was angry, literally piping hot. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is it not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah is displeased. He's burning mad, literally. It's interesting that Jonah, in his frustration, even prayed to the Lord. What you see in this text is that Jonah is really consumed with a lot of religiousness and a lot of religiosity, but he's not consumed with grace. Why is Jonah angry? Jonah is angry because he realized that God is extending grace to the Ninevites. And we've mentioned several times as to why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. Well, here is our answer. Is that he says, oh Lord, this is what I said when I was in my own country. That's why I made haste and I fled to Tarshish. Because I knew that you are a gracious God. Merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah is upset that a pagan people, a non-Israel people, would be receiving God's grace. Someone who was far from God, someone in his eyes that was undeserving of God's mercy and God's grace, are now receiving God's mercy and God's grace, and Jonah didn't like it. Someone from a different background, from a different way of life, from a different culture, someone that wasn't like Jonah or like Israel. Jonah was doing so well in chapter 3, but look at him now. Jonah is a picture of a self-righteous religious person claiming to have the mind of God, but refusing to have the heart of God toward others. We could say it this way, Jonah knew great truths about God, but he never allowed those truths to affect his heart. And he never allowed those truths to affect the way of his life. He knew, he says, I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, yet he refused to carry that same posture within himself. He's what would be called by today's standards a fraud. He's someone that went so far as to even pray about it because that's what religious people do. They pray, but yet they are never moved themselves toward the heart of God. He's in this conundrum, if you will, of wishing that others would change, but refusing to allow the same grace to transform him as well. He didn't want others that weren't like him to receive what he had graciously received from the Lord. And I hinted at it before a couple weeks ago and even last week as well, but Jonah is acting as a representation of what Israel was supposed to do. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to go 
and proclaim the good news of God into the world. They were to be a reflection of God's grace and God's glory, but they rebelled. And what I want to do, do for just a second is to unpack this and what I would call a biblical theology and just kind of trace this idea of God extending his love and extending his grace through Israel and how Israel is to be a reflection of God's grace in the same way Jonah was to be a reflection of what Israel was supposed to do. And in the same way Jonah was disobedient, we realized that Israel had been disobedient. In the same way that Jonah cared not for those outside of Israel, Israel cared only for people who were just like them. And in the same way, just like Jonah had been given a special calling to go to the nations, Israel too had received that same calling, yet they refused. If you consider the big picture of God's story, the story of God, the big picture is the calling of a, of a nation, a particular people, namely the nation of Israel, to spread God's name and to spread God's glory into the earth and to go and to proclaim the good news of God and to proclaim the grace of God and to spread the glory of God into all the lands. He's sent a people to live sent lives to reflect his grace and his character to the world. And now that same commission of living sent lives, whereas with Israel it was in the Old Testament, now in the New Testament, God has given that same commission to us, that is his church, to live sent lives into the world, not as a replacement of Israel, but a fulfillment of true Israel in Christ, that is the church. And whereas Israel failed, Jesus now is the better Israel. He's the better, he's the true child of God. And that we through Christ are God's children now through the true seed who is Christ. And now we enter through the better son, the better Israel, namely Jesus. And we find our fulfillment now as God's redeemed people, that is the church. In the Old Testament, God's people is Israel. In the New Testament, It is Christ and it is his church, not a replacement of Israel, but a fulfillment of true Israel. Consider in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, God declaring to his Old Testament people, the people of Israel, that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 of what God intends for the children of Abraham to bring blessing to the nations. Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." There's this echo of hope through the line of Abraham to bless all the nations. And the story of Scripture continues, and God entrusts His his people to the care of the nations. He wants His people to care and to extend the character of God and to be a blessing to the nations. Look at Genesis 28, verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God intended for the children of Abraham, that is Old Testament Israel, to be an extension of God's grace to all nations. And that through Israel, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. And that's what Paul's point is in the book of Galatians, is that the true seed, the true offspring of Abraham was the seed of Christ. And through the seed of Christ, now we as the New Testament church are to go and extend that same calling as Israel had as well. But you see it even, not just in Genesis, but you see it also even in the glimpses of the law of how Israel, ethnic Israel, was to extend grace to the foreigner and the sojourner 
and how they were to care for them. In other words, the nations that come to you, how are you to care for them to be a blessing to them? Listen to Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger or a sojourner is within your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself for you. We're strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, the same grace that you have received, you are to reciprocate that grace to others and those outside of Israel when they come into your land. Even when Israel was put into exile, the same language of blessing the nations is used. In other words, the exile that Israel went into wasn't just for their purification, though it was, It was also for the blessing of the nations. This is why in Jeremiah 29 that the captivity, Jeremiah says, is not just for you, Israel, but it's also for the nations. And all the nations will be blessed through you. God is fulfilling His promise. And Jeremiah tells him that you are to seek the welfare of the city, that you're to love the nations, you're to plant vineyards, you're to raise families while you're in exile that you're still called to be a blessing to all peoples. This was the call of God throughout all of Scripture. This is God sending His glory through a people that are chosen because of God, the people of Israel called by God to extend the glory of God to the world. This is the hope of Habakkuk 2.14, for all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is on a mission to see His glory go forth, and He does it by choosing a people and then sending those people to be a display of His glory to the nations. And in the Old Testament, that was to be Israel. And you see it even as early as Genesis chapter 11, even in the Tower of Babel, that people may have the knowledge of God to go, but instead they remain and they want to make a name for themselves. And in the same way, the Tower of Babel is a picture of what Israel would do time and time and time again. When God says, go to the nations, they said, no, we'd rather make a name for ourselves and we would disobey God. God says, go, and they don't want to. And time and time again, God would give them a commission, give them a command. They would not live in light of that command. And the Old Testament continues in that that same cycle until a true and better son appears. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes and he lives as the true Israel, as the true child of God, living living not just Israel, but also the Gentiles, giving his life for all people, for all who come to me. Jesus says, I will not reject them. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his son that he might suffer in their place and that Jesus is fulfilling and he is showing the missional heart of God to go into all nations and to be sent in his commission now Christ has given to his church. That we would do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that commission that Israel received and that Jonah received we have also received in Christ that we would go and make disciples. And the question is, will we do that or will we be like Jonah and disobey? And Israel did the same thing. They began to turn inward. They didn't have concern for their neighbor. Instead, they increasingly became more and more bitter to non-Jews and to the Gentiles. And that's what you see in the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene and he's telling this parable of two sons. And the older brother despised his younger brother because he saw him as someone that was unworthy to receive God's grace. You see the Pharisees and the religious leaders and they they have this disposition and this disdain for sinners and tax collectors. And the Jewish attitudes and hearts of the people towards people like Samaritans and Gentiles. 
running counter to the heart of God for all people, they begin to be filled with this sense of, I deserve God's grace because I've been chosen by God. And instead of living out in the instruction that God had given them, they started to harbor bitterness. And they started to harbor frustration by people that they were actually called to love. And that's exactly what Jonah is doing in this text. He's being unwelcoming. And he thought of someone else receiving God's grace and mercy that he thought that they didn't deserve it. He didn't like it. It's like the parable of the laborers in the vineyard of, of, of this guy's worked all day long. And then this guy comes along, he works half a day and he receives the same, the same, the, the same treasure, if you will, of the person that worked the entire day for it. What is this? And if we're not careful, church, we too could have that same posture and that same mind of being unwilling to extend the grace that we've received to others. But don't miss this. In the same way that Israel was called to be a blessing to the nations and extend the grace of God to a people far from Him. In the same way that Jonah was called to go to a people that didn't know the grace of God and extend the grace and mercy of God to them, the church is called to that task as well. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 of what the Apostle Paul encourages the church at Corinth to live in this way. Notice how he begins in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, we have because we have received the good news of Jesus Christ, because we have received the mercy of, and grace of Jesus Christ, we are to extend that same mercy, that same ministry of reconciliation that we have received, and we are to extend that to others, even those who are undeserving, because we too were undeserving. But the problem for Jonah wasn't the problem of his head. It was the problem of his heart. In Jonah 4.2, he says, I know. He says, I knew. I knew that you were a gracious God. <laughs> Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The problem wasn't in Jonah's head. The problem was in Jonah's heart. And what troubled him is that the grace that he had received would go to someone that he thought was undeserving of it. More than that, someone that he would even consider an enemy. Someone such as a Ninevite, a wicked people, an undeserving people, a murderous people, a hardened people. And Jonah could come up with all the reasons as to why they did not deserve what they are now receiving in God. And he would, he would begin to paint this picture of hostility towards them and even paint them as an enemy. And beloved, the same thing happens in the human heart is that we can be so quick to create divisions and hostilities on the basis of human customs. And we build up all these walls where God and Christ has torn them all down. And that's true racially. That's true ethnically. That's true socioeconomically. That's true politically. That's true even religiously as well. And we, we begin to have this posture is that I'm chosen. And no one else is. And that becomes the sin of the human heart. And if we aren't careful, we can develop this same heart that Jonah had, is that it's only me and that God can't be extending grace to them. But beloved, in Christ, 
the opportunity to respond to the grace of Christ has been given to all peoples in all backgrounds, in all different socioeconomic statuses, in all ethnicities, and even people worshiping a false god. God calls us all to the same gospel, beloved. Repent and believe Christ for salvation. And how tempted we could become to begin to view people through the lens of the flesh and through the lens of all types of ways of developing partiality towards them. I believe James is very helpful in not showing partiality to other people. Turn to the book of James chapter 2. I think there's two warnings in the book of James that James gives us here. James chapter 2, looking at verses 8 through 13, and then we'll look into chapter 3 as well. I think there's two warnings, and I'll try to unpack those. James says, But if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, and also says, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, the heart of James is saying the heart of God is that God's not showing partiality and therefore you shouldn't show partiality and warns against such. But then in James chapter 3, I think there's a second warning of how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth... Come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And my point is this, is that my concern is that sometimes what we say with our mouths can be just as partial and harmful and hurtful and creating enemies that we create in our own heart. We have this posture of partiality, and then what spews from our own mouth is deadly poison to people that were made in the image of God. And we tear them down instead of building them up. Those who are made in the image of God, and instead of seeing them as a neighbor who we are called to love, we see them as an enemy. And then we take to our computers and we'll get on Facebook and we'll post about them and we will destroy them of people who are called to love, people who are made in the image of God. Beloved Christian, your words matter. Your post matters. How you love people around you matters. Jonah got stuck in this tunnel vision and said, this grace that I have received is only for me. And it's only for people like me. But the heart of God was extending His grace to the Gentiles. Jonah was misapplying his theology. It drove him. Jonah's theology drove him to have a disregard and even a bitterness towards loving people. Let me say it this way. If any theology pulls you away from love of neighbor... It's the wrong theology. The love of Christ always compels us to love others and to love others as we have loved ourselves. But don't miss this as well. What's going on in Jonah's head is that Jonah seems to have the whole thing figured out. I think there's a slight bit of arrogance on Jonah's part. Of that, I know what you're up to, God. 
And that's why I didn't do what you called me to do, because I knew what you were doing. I believe there's a, a world of arrogance in Jonah's heart here. To think that he could somehow fit God into his box. I, I knew that you were going to extend grace, and so I knew what you were going to do, and so therefore, I didn't do it. And I believe the prophets had some, some inkling of what God was doing in the world, but I believe the book of Colossians and even the book of Ephesians is pretty clear that they could not fully grasp their minds about what was actually taking place. This is why Paul says in both Colossians and in Ephesians chapter 3, he speaks of the mystery of God in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. The apostle says, Apostle Paul says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. In Colossians, he says, this mystery has been hidden from for ages. In verse 5, he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as, been, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And you see in the book of Acts, this gospel that's going and it's going to Gentile nations and it's going to a Gentile people. And Paul says, I've been given this ministry to go to the Gentiles. And you see Philip baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch and Peter going in Acts chapter eight, going to the house of Cornelius and, and seeing a Roman centurion coming to faith. And then he comes in Acts chapter 10 and Peter says he opens his mouth and he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In other words, that is the Jew and that is the Gentile. That is, that is Israel and that is the Ninevites. That's Jonah and that's the pagan. God shows no partiality. So why are you showing partiality, Jonah? Are you so wise to know the full plan of God, the mystery of God? God, what are you doing? Jonah exclaims. And beloved, Jonah didn't have a clue all that God was doing. God was working a plan that was much bigger than him. Beloved, don't you see what is taking place here in the book of Jonah? It's the continuation of God's unfolding redemptive plan for the world. And Jonah is upset about it. And in the New Testament, beloved, we too now have been called, Matthew 28, we have been called to go and make disciples of all nations. Pontata ethne, that is all people groups. And think of where this whole thing is headed. The eschaton, when we come and stand before the Lord in the final day, there is going to be a people from every language, tribe and tongue, coming to worship Christ as Lord and Christ as King. And all the earthly divisions have been removed. All the physical divisions that we once put up barriers between them and God have now been removed from race to class to culture to language to politics, from national divides. They have all been torn down in Christ. And that's why Paul would say we regard no one now according to the flesh. We show no partiality. And may we not be like Jonah to think that we have God figured out and to say his covenant is just for me and only me and people like me. And what you see in this text is you see the heart of God going to a lost people, the very ones in desperate need of His grace, and Jonah didn't like it. Even someone that he would paint as an enemy. Who is it that around you that you feel they, they're undeserving? They don't deserve the grace that God has extended to me. Who is it that you would begin to snub your nose that God would actually extend grace to them, a sinner? Who have you painted in your own mind and in your own heart as an enemy and you've begun to forsake the love that God has commanded you to love them and serve them? 
I'm sure that when all of us somewhere is an ounce of bitterness that we can begin to exude towards other people. And sometimes, beloved, though we say we have a genuine love for God, it's not always displayed in the love for our neighbors. And may we be challenged this morning not to just love God with our minds, but to love Him with our whole hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And remember that God's kindness was given to me and it's extended to go towards other people as well. Write this principle down. It's what I've been explaining through this whole first point, is that Jonah is not just a story, but it is a representation of Israel and also a reminder of our own potential unwillingness to serve others and engage in God's mission. And we understand that by loving someone well doesn't mean that we condone or approve something, but there is a way that we do that with what I'm about to show in the second point, that we do that with grace and with truth. And I think often we love, and the way that we love is we only love with truth because we forget the grace that we've received. And that pushes me to point number two, Jonah is having a pity party. What you find in the remaining portion of Jonah is that Jonah really, for lack of a better term, he's, he's pouting. He's having a pity party, if you will. That's what he's doing in verses three through nine. And he's, he's upset. Do you do, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Angry enough to die is his response. It's better for me to die than to live. In the midst of Jonah being self-absorbed and only concerned with himself, God is still extending grace to him and graciously extends grace to Jonah through a plan and, and through comforting him in the midst of his affliction. And I think this is God's way of getting Jonah's attention is that you rejoice over a plan and you're concerned about a plant, Jonah. What about, what about all the people that are perishing in Nineveh? Do you not care about them? You pity a plant, but you have no concern for people. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant which you did not labor, nor did you make grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? You're not concerned about people, Jonah. Are you, are you concerned about their livestock? I think God is just pointing Jonah's attention to that there are people that are perishing, that God has a heart for, that God loves, that God has a heart for the Ninevites, and God has a heart for the Gentiles, and that God has a mission that He wants His glory to go to the nations, and He has sent Jonah to proclaim the glory of God to them and to call them to repentance, and He sends Israel to that same task as well, but Jonah and Israel became so disillusioned to the grace that they have received that they began to just pity themselves. And they had forgotten the very grace that they had received. Jonah had forgotten that everything he had, everything that Israel had received was God's grace to him. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 6 and 8, God reminds Israel of this truth. For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who were on the earth. Israel, you are chosen, God says. You're chosen, Israel. And I have chosen you, Israel. It is not because you were more in number than all the other people on the earth that the Lord has set his affection on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people, but you have been chosen because the Lord loves you. It's all of grace. Israel, the reason that you are loved and beloved by God is not because you deserve it. Jonah, the reason that you're in covenant with God is not because you deserve it. And don't you ever forget that you thought that you deserved it. You didn't deserve it. 
And there's a whole lot of other Gentiles nations that don't deserve it either. And my heart, God says, my heart is to extend that same grace to them that you have so graciously received. That is the mission and the heart of God. And so many followers of Christ even today are not focused on that mission, but instead they're focused on themselves. They're focused on their own pity party. And while God is on mission, the church continues to decline. While God is extending and His mission is going forth, calling all peoples to Himself, the church continues to be at a place of complacency and a lot of pity parties, for lack of a better term. God is on mission and the church seems to be sitting and even at times sulking in many ways, creating, as I said last week, creating more excuses than they are disciples and creating more negativity than they are about proclaiming Christ to others, refusing to serve, refusing to help, refusing to engage. Someone else will do that. Well, I've already done enough. Someone else's turn to do that. And why is is there fingerprints all over the wall? And it's not my job to serve the city. It's not my job to serve the church. And it's not my job to love the broken. It's not my job to love everyone. It's not my job to share Christ. It's not my job to, to engage in God's mission in the world. Then, beloved, whose job is it? If it not be the job of the disciples of Christ to extend the mission of Christ in the world, whose job is it? It is our calling. It is our job. It is what we are being commissioned to do is to go and proclaim Christ, to go and serve and to love well and to not sit, but to serve others. To not become frustrated when the world acts the way that the world is going to act. And when sinners act out of their own sinful mindset. Beloved, if we want to see change, if we want to see Christ transform lives, God has given us how we are to do that. It's called putting our hand to the plow and engaging the message of Christ to the world and giving them the greatest news the world has ever known, namely Christ crucified for sinners. And if you want to see change, to to preach Christ and to preach Heart transformation, that is what Jesus brings, that He brings transformation to the human heart. And we pity ourselves when we should extend compassion and we should be extending grace to those without Christ and we should be sharing Christ with others. But imagine what that looks like. Imagine what that looks like personally. To sit across from the table from someone who's in sin, in drunkenness, in idolatry, in sexual morality. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. They curse like a sailor. They look far from God. And to sit across the table from them and to see them in their brokenness and to love them as Christ loved you when you were just as broken. To love God. And to see them as someone made in His image that needs the redemption of Christ. And you don't pity them. And you don't fear them, but you love them in the same way that you have been loved. That's what we're called to do. To love God. To love neighbor. And what a testimony that Grace Life Church could have even within this city to say, man, oh man, I tell you what I know about Grace Life Church. They love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but boy, they love people as well. They love their neighbor as they love themselves. They love this city. They love God. They love their neighbor. They live as Christ lived. They live not as Jonah did. They live as the better Jonah. They love, they love their neighbor. They love to see and point people to Jesus Christ. 
My last point is, my sub point is this, is that you would be motivated not by guilt, but you would be motivated by the gospel. There's a tendency when you hear even something like I just preached, there's a tendency to start to just maybe shrivel down and say, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing good stuff or whatnot. I don't want you to be motivated by guilt. And certainly I don't intend to guilt anyone into serving, but I just want you to be reminded of what Jonah forgot, namely the gospel. I want you to be reminded of what Christ has done for us and not forgetting the grace and not forgetting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not be like Jonah and allow people's sin and to be the reason that we don't extend grace to them. And it doesn't mean that we approve. It doesn't mean that we accept. But it does mean that we attempt to love them well and genuinely love them, want to serve others and live in such a way that we love them genuinely and not violate our own conscience for that would be sin. But if we're driven by a posture of religiosity like Jonah, if we're driven by religiosity, it won't work we'll get caught in the conversation between the religious right and the religious left, if you will. <laughs> and the conversation goes something like this. Well, you must love others, and therefore, if you truly love others, then you're going to lose on truth. You must compromise the truth. It's not going to work. The other side would say, well, you must love truth, and therefore, you cannot fully love others if they don't align with your truth. Religious right, religious left until Jesus shows us a better way. He shows us another way. And this is why he drove the religious leaders nuts. Because he's dining and he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Flip over to John 1, chapter four, or verse 14. I want to show you again, as we'll close this morning very quickly... The heart and the posture of Christ when He came into the world. Not being persuaded by religiosity, not being persuaded by the religious right, religious left, but showing us a better way of how to love God and love neighbor. John 1 verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace that's full of mercy, full of kindness, full of compassion, full of care, full of love, and full of truth. So full of truth that He did not want you to perish. He loved you so much that He would call you to repentance and call you to be transformed by His grace. And may we, as Grace Life Church, live to live in light of God's grace and God's truth as we live in this world. To follow our Lord and Savior to that end that we might not be a religious people embracing love at the expense of truth, or we might not be on the other side, embracing truth without extending love and with extending grace. Instead, may we not be a religious people, may we be a gospel people. And that we engage the broken, that we love the lost and we love them well, and we love them well enough, yes, to even share Christ with them and to share the hope of the gospel with them and to meet them in their brokenness and to say, beloved, that's the same brokenness that I was in until Christ transformed me. And that's the same grace that you need today. But as we are patient and gracious and loving and that we are full of grace, and truth, not or truth. Grace and truth. And we overflow with the good news of Jesus Christ because that's who we see in this text. That is what this, that is what Jonah is pointing us to, the heart of God, to the grace of God, to Christ who loved even his enemies when Jonah wouldn't do it. That he loved you, sinner, he loved you even while you were a sinner. He loved you while you were in Nineveh. And He laid down His life 
for his enemies. That's something Jonah wouldn't do, but there's a better Jonah who has come. There's a better Jonah who wouldn't be absorbed with self, but he would give himself to serve and to love others. Christ, namely, the better Jonah who rejoices. Beloved, he rejoices and all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and believes the gospel. That's the heart of God in Christ that loves to extend grace to sinners, that loves to extend mercy to those that are undeserving. Let me ask you something this morning, beloved. Let me ask you something this morning those that may be far from God this morning, do you feel like you don't deserve God's mercy and grace? Do you feel that way? Do you feel that there's no way that God could love you? Do you feel that you've done way too much, that you've violated His commands, that there's no way that God could stand grace to you? Let me remind you of the truth of God in Jonah, that God is extending grace even to you, a sinner in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your rebellion, God would send a prophet to say, repent from your sin and turn to Christ. Do you need to do that this morning? Do you need to repent from your own rebellion and living your way and say, may I lay my life down and turn and trust Christ for salvation? The invitation's open. And Jesus says, all who will come, I will never cast them out. It's good news. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much money you don't have. Christ says, come. All the walls of hostility have been broken down and now calls sinners to come to Christ. Would you come to Him this morning? Would you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? And those that have received this gospel... Would it be the very compulsion of your life to say, I'm not going to be stuck in religiosity. I'm going to live as gospel people. And I'm going to love well, and I'm going to proclaim truth well, and I'm not going to compromise on either, but I can uphold both by living as Christ has lived in this world. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.